This morning is the first part of a two-part message. Sunday evenings, we have been in the book of Ephesians, and uh, tonight we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and there is a discussion of what love is and what love is not. We find that love is sacrificial. What love is not is sinful or lustful. Our culture says a great deal about love. However, our culture gets it wrong in understanding what love really is, what love looks like, how love acts, and how love is to be manifested in relationships, relationships to believers, relationships to non-believers, relationships of all kind. Tonight, I'm going to say a great deal about what love is not and how our culture gets it wrong and how we have to be very careful when we start talking about love and what it means to love one another. As I was studying Ephesians chapter 5 in preparation for tonight, when I looked at verses 1 and 2, I thought that that would be a good preparation for us for communion. As the scriptures begin by talking about what love really is. And that is love is a reflection of the character and person of God. So we find out that we are to be imitators of God. We are to follow God's example and love others the way that God has loved us. That's the theme of this morning's message. We're to follow God's example and love others the way that God has loved us. So as we prepare for communion this morning and we focus upon God's love for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, if you're not there already. And the first thing I would note is that as beloved children of God, we are to mimic the conduct of our Heavenly Father in showing love to one another. Verse 1 states, therefore be imitators of God, therefore reflects on all that comes before it, and uh, I will say more about that uh, Later, But before uh, this morning, we want to emphasize that we're to be imitators of God. To be an imitator is to mimic the attitudes and actions of another. Another word to mimic would be to impersonate. We are accustomed to entertainers who are impersonators. That is, they seek to take on the mannerism characteristics of another so you can readily identify the individual that they are impersonating. Perhaps the most impersonated individual that I can think of is Elvis. We all have seen Elvis impersonators, have we not? And you can picture an Elvis impersonator. They're dressed in a white leather onesie uh, outfit that the uh, Elvis would have worn. Uh, high-collared, they have these big rimmed glasses, they have the lamb chop uh, sideburns, thank you. This is going to be group participation this morning. I can feel it, okay? You're just going to have to hang with me. Thank you. That's a, be ready, all right? It's going to be needed again, I'm sure. All right, so he has the lamb chop sideburns, all right? He has the quivering look. 
I'm not going to impersonate him. All right. And he has, you know, the voice, of course, that's very important. You have to have the right timber, the right vibrato of Elvis Presley. You, well, you get the picture. You have to have the gyrations, the movements, you know, the whole bit. Well, I, again, I'm not going to be an Elvis impersonator this morning. I would if I hadn't broken my foot, but, you know. Uh, I will restrain myself this morning, but you get the idea of an Elvis impersonator. Well, the text tells us we're to be impersonators of God, meaning that we're to take on the characteristics, the looks, the attitudes of what God is like. We're to impersonate God in his mannerisms, in his characteristics. We're to sound, look, and act like God. And in the immediate context, that is found in the words in verse 2, to walk in love. To walk in love. That's what it means to be an imitator of God. To walk in love. God loved us and made us his children. In verse 1 it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We are the beloved children of God. That is, God loved us not just because we are his children, but rather God loved us by making us his children. And that's a pretty important distinction. It goes beyond the idea that he loves us because we belong to him. The idea is that we belong to him because he loved us. If you go back with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, here's the, the very first reason the, the therefore be imitators of God as beloved children goes all the way back to Ephesians 1 verse 3 which reads blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him and now these words in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So God loved us in predestinating us, predetermining to adopt us as his children. He loved us by choosing to make us his own, that we would belong to him. We are, in turn, to bear a family resemblance to God. In Ephesians 5.1 it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. So it is our duty, our, our role, to imitate, to take on the family characteristics of God as God's children. We're to be like him. And we are to strive to be like him, even as a child who honors their father and wants to strive to be like their father. So we should strive to be like our heavenly father, for he is worthy of all imitation and emulation. We are to mimic the attitudes, actions of God. Namely, we are to love others in the manner that which God has loved us. So that this characterization, this impersonation of God is love. Love. 
and love permeates the entire entity of who God is. In his character, in his actions, in his attitudes, he is expressing and manifesting love. Love is to be seen in all of God's person and activities and attitudes. And so we are to reflect that, for example, in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So here is God's love demonstrated in forgiving us. And so we show God's love, we mimic God's love, we impersonate God as we are loving one another and forgiving one another for their trespasses against us and against God. We find out that love is to be seen in all aspects of our lives. For it tells us in verse 2 that we are to walk in love. That is that, that love is the sphere in which we live and move. We breathe, we act. Our lives are not to be compartmentalized where in one area of life we demonstrate love. But love is to be seen in all things. It is to be characterized in all aspects of our life, our conduct, our attitudes, and our relationships, all to be loving. We find out we're to love in the manner in which Christ has loved us in verse 2. It says, walk in love, and now these words, as Christ has loved us. As Christ has loved us. The standard or manner in which we are to love is the way in which Christ has loved. That defines for us what it means to be loving. We are to love as Christ loved us. God's people have always been called upon to be a loving people. However, previously in the Old Testament, the standard for love was that we were to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Remember that? In Matthew chapter 12, the scribes came to Jesus and they asked him a question. They said this, when the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them, well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That was the second great commandment of the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But Christ raised the standard. He moved the goalposts. He made it much more difficult than the admonition to which no one lived up to, by the way, to love your neighbor as yourself. But now the bar has been raised to you shall love others the way that I have loved you. And so in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. The new commandment is not to love. The new commandment is to love one another the way that I have loved you. Again, in John 15, verse 12, 
it reads, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so as Christians, we are to seek to emulate the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. Therefore, Christ should be our model. Christ should be our example. Christ should be our hero. We should aspire to be like Christ. We want to imitate him. We want to be like him. Like a child that has a hero and perhaps dons, you know, Superman's cape or takes on the actions of a particular sports star, we are to seek to be like Christ. And we are to further identify with the people of God as far as they are seeking to be like Christ. For Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul says, follow me in the ways that I follow Christ. We don't want to follow Paul in his sinful actions or his sinful activities or in anything that would be improper, but in every area that Paul acts like Christ, we want to be like Paul because the ultimate goal is to be like Christ. And we want to be able to say to others, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. We are to live our lives in an exemplary fashion pointing people to Jesus Christ, and we do that by the love that we manifest, for that is in keeping with the way in which Christ has dealt with us. The depth of Christ's love is that he willingly died in our place. The willingness of Christ to die in our place is seen in the words, gave himself up, in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us, and now these words, and gave himself up. Gave himself up. That means that he voluntarily, willingly gave himself up to die on the cross. He voluntarily, willingly gave himself up when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers came to arrest him. He demonstrated the power that he had in order to resist the arrest. He had the power to smite them, to cause them to fall to their knees. And in fact, they did. When they asked if he was the Christ, he said, I am. And when he said he was the I am, he was identifying with God in the flesh. And they immediately fell down. But he gave himself up. He turned himself over to them. Jesus said in John chapter 17, uh, John chapter 10, verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority both to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I received from my Father. And so Jesus demonstrates his love by willingly, not forcibly, not contrary to what he desires or wants, but 
He voluntarily, willingly gave himself up for us. The willingness to die in our place is not a mere attitude, but it was a reality. It is an event that took place in time and in space. It is not simply that Jesus was willing to die for us. He, in fact, did die for us, for his love was real. His love wasn't just words. His love was sincere. His love was truthful. His love was complete. So, too, we are to love not merely in word, but in deed. It isn't just to be an expression upon our lips, but it's to be a way of life that reflects the reality of our love for one another. Sacrificial acts are to accompany expressions of love. We're to see the relevance of being called to love as Christ's love in a myriad of ways. And later in this epistle, later in this very same chapter, we are given an exhortation with a specific application with response to the command to love. If you look with me in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. And here's the comparison. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice how those exact words, he gave himself up for us. Now, in verse 25, we are to love our wives, men, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. In other words, we are to demonstrate a sacrificial love for our spouses. We are to be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. He was willing to die for us. We are to be willing to go to the nth degree in our love for our wives, holding nothing back. We are to realize that talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. I hope you tell your wife, if you are married this morning, that you love her and you tell her on a regular basis. I hope that you tell her every day that you love her. But it is even more important that you actually love her every day. And that is expressed not in words, but in attitude and action. The way that we are to love our wives is the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself her. So we are to love our wives by giving ourselves, sacrificing our desires, sacrificing our wants, sacrificing our glory, whatever it is, we are willing to be giving it up in order that we might imitate the Lord Jesus Christ, who ultimately is an expression of of God, of God. Christ giving himself up 
was a sacrifice and an offering to God. Notice in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm looking at those words, an offering and sacrifice to God, and the first thing I want to note is the last two words, to God. To God. That is, the sacrifice and offering was made to God. It is God's justice that had to be satisfied. The offering was made to God. The offering isn't made to us. The offering is made on our behalf. The offering is made because we couldn't, we couldn't bring about our own salvation. Jesus died as a sacrifice, as an offering to God. The goal of the sacrifice of Christ was to satisfy and to please the Father. In like manner, we need to understand that loving one another and even loving our wives is not to be an end in and of itself. We're to love one another, not just for the mutual benefit that it is, and it's a wonderful thing for brothers and sisters to love one another. The Scripture talks about the, the blessing of dwelling together in unity, how we can be a, a help, a benefit. We can build one another up. Love is a good thing. And we should love our spouses for their sake, for their benefit, for their pleasure, for their well-being. We should be watching over them. We should be nurturing them. We, we should be helping them. But there is a higher and ulterior motive in our loving one another, for we are to love one another as a means of pleasing and satisfying God. We are to be seeing this as an opportunity for us to please our Heavenly Father as we love one another, for that is his command. That is what he has required for us. So in loving one another, we ultimately love God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So as we keep God's commandments of loving one another, we actually are demonstrating our love for him. And that should be helpful for us in times in which we do not find it to be the easiest thing to love our brother and sister in Christ. Unfortunately, there may be times that we do not view our spouse as being particularly lovable. I remember very vividly uh, a time when I was at, at Pinebrook and uh, uh, brother, I'm going to need your help again, former director of Pinebrook. Bert, Bert Brocious, thank you, thank you. Okay, group participation will come again. So Bert Brocious was at Pinebrook, and he was just observing our group that we were there, and he walked up to me, and he said, Brother Cal, he said, your people love you. And then he said, and you're not very lovable. <laughs> so thank you, Bert, and, and he takes it back right away, okay? But, but what he was doing is he was praising 
the people. He said, they love you. And then he was putting it in perspective and said, well, you're not all that lovable. Well, the reality is sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ are not all that lovable. Sometimes our spouse is not all that lovable. And in reality, sometimes we're not all that lovable to our spouse. But we're to love out of our duty and respect of a God who always is lovable. It is impossible for us to find fault with God. It is impossible for us to complain about God's faithfulness and goodness and his mercy and the way in which he has loved us. God has never and never will fail us. God is deserving of our love. And so, as an act of obedience and an expression of our appreciation to God, we seek to be like God who loves the unlovable. For God commend his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the ultimate price in the midst of our sin and our rebellion. Because God is that kind of loving God. God showed his love to us even in the midst of our sinfulness. So we show our love to one another, to our spouses, even in the midst of their and our own sinfulness. For that is the character, that's the nature of God. That's who he is. That's what he is like. And we need to impersonate that in his character and his goodness. Christ's sacrifice was one that completely satisfied God and that it pleased God. For it tells us in verse 2 that we're to walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, And now these words, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm focusing on the word fragrant. A fragrant sacrifice. Meaning that it came up as as a perfume, a, a beautiful aroma, a sweet smell. As the smoke of the sacrifice rose, it was a beautiful smell, aroma to God. I love the smell of wood burning. I love a fire. And the scripture says that God's delighted in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It came up like a a sweet aroma to God. It was pleasing. It was satisfying. This imagery goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 8. It's the first time it's used. And it's used then uh, repeatedly through the book of Leviticus. But I'll limit myself to to Genesis this morning. And, And listen to these words. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. 
And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down everything creature as I have done. God was satisfied. God was pleased. And God would never again hold mankind accountable in the way in which he had held them accountable before, for God was satisfied, pleased with this sacrifice. The same imagery comes up in Philippians chapter 4, when it says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphrodite as gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. This is Paul talking about when uh, he was in need, when he was in prison in Philippi, and the Philippians provided Epaphroditus to minister to his need, and he said that came up as a sweet-smelling offering to God. God was pleased. God was satisfied. God was delighted in, in what he had done. And we find in the New Testament that as we act in accordance with God's will, as we are demonstrating the love that he demands of us, that that in and of itself comes up as a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. God is pleased with that sacrifice of loving one another. Paul gives this testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is depicting the sacrificial nature of his ministry. The way in which he is putting himself on the line, putting his life at risk for the sake of the lost. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ Jesus always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So Paul says that his life is a way of, of spreading the fragrance of God everywhere. Some people have a very distinctive perfume that they wear. Some ladies, uh, some men have a particular cologne or aftershave. And you can smell them coming, as it were, because of the distinctive perfume or the, pers- the uh, distinctive um, cologne, or in the worst scenario, because of their bad body odor. But you can sense their presence. Paul uses that analogy to talk about his life and his ministry. For he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, For we are the aroma of Christ to God. We are this impersonator. We're giving off a distinctive smell. We're giving off the smell of Christ as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. He says, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient for 
these things. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 16, it says, to the one, a fragrance from, from death to death. As we seek to live for Christ, as we seek to manifest this love of God that Christ displays in his sacrificial work, as, as we talk about that great work of Christ and, and try to live out this life of godliness before others, it says to those that are perishing, it stinks, <laughs> It's like the aroma of death, okay? It's like a dead person. Who wants to be around a, a, a corpse that stinks? We live in a day and age when people are embalmed. And so uh, we don't smell dead bodies. I have been around bodies that have been dead for a week and haven't been embalmed, and they stink. They stink. Scripture says that our lives stink to an unbelieving world. But to those who know Christ, it comes up as a beautiful fragrance, a beautiful aroma. It's an incredible perfume, for it's reflective of the smell of Christ. That's what Christ did. That's how Christ acted. And it comes up as a fragrance to God. It's in keeping with what we are to be doing as the people of God. So as we perform these acts, these duties of love, we bear the aroma of Christ. We smell like Christ. That's how deep the impersonation is to be. We're not only to act like Christ. We are not only to live like Christ. We're not only to think like Christ. We're even to smell like Christ in this willing offering of ourselves for the benefit, the well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ and our loved ones. As partakers of communion this morning, let us reflect on God's love in the person of Jesus Christ, his perfect love for us. And as we partake of communion, let us really understand the symbolism of taking communion together. For we are portraying, we are declaring that when Christ died on the cross, he didn't just love me. He loved us. We are his children this morning if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He has brought us into a unique relationship, not just to himself, but to each other. And so as we partake of communion, let's rededicate ourselves to loving our Lord and Savior and in loving our brother and sister in Christ. And in so doing, we are reflecting the very character of Christ who gave himself up for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us as we partake of communion. May we do so to your honor and glory. 
Uh, we pray for any here that do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, that they would place their faith and trust in Him. But Lord, uh, be glorified as we reflect upon the wonderful saving work of the Lord Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.